The time has finally come for you to learn how to study the Bible. Never been done before, never to be repeated again. This podcast shows you how to study the Bible. Turn back now. Remain biblically illiterate. Proceed and have your life changed by the Bible. The choice is yours. All right, people, let's get to it. I'm Reverend Ryan, a deacon in the Anglican Church in North America, and I'm in the process of becoming a priest. But enough about me. Let's get to why we're actually here. Okay, why we are actually here. So the last time, you guys already know this, it was the end of scene one. Well, here's the deal. It's been a little while, as you already know, and life has been crazy. I have been sick as can be, um, missed preaching three times, and crazy behind in school, um, and then behind in this podcast. I've still been doing stuff to the best of my ability, but the podcast had to get on the back burner, as they say. So this episode is kind of going to be a transition episode, or I don't know about transition. This episode is meant to show you Jonah in application. Now, I've been telling you guys about how if you describe Yahweh in the way that Jonah, the book, not the character, describes Yahweh, that this will work, that this is an enjoyable God, so on and so forth. Right? This is a God that you want to come to. Well, here's my proof. Now, glory be to God, but recently through the Lord, I made a convert from Hinduism. And this is maybe a month and a half, two months ago, or something like that. So here's how the whole thing happened. Uh, the abbot and I, and the abbot is ahead of a monastery, the abbot and I are doing some training. I was doing some training for the priesthood. And we were at the altar, at the cathedral, at night. He's showing me things to do. We're reading from the Missal, the Mass uh, Missal. Sorry if I'm coughing a lot during this time. And in walks this couple. Now, it's all dark. We have the, the light on above the altar. And the main lights in the cathedral and the nave are not that bright. So it's nighttime, they walk in, and there are people who use our facilities, you know, throughout the week uh, for various reasons. And so I, you know, briefly glance over, but I don't really pay much attention because I've got stuff to do. I've got to focus on what I'm doing, and for all I know, it's just somebody, right? So they're walking around, they're looking around, eventually they come up the aisle of the nave, and the abbot's so focused on what we're doing that I don't want to stop and interrupt him and and then greet these people. But these people are clearly standing there waiting to talk to us. And so eventually they turn around and they go and they walk around. And then eventually, I don't know, five minutes later, and it felt like an eternity because here I am, I'm supposed to be focusing on some priesthood training and I can't stop thinking about these people who walked in. So these people walk in. I mean, so so then eventually I interrupt the abbot and I say, Abbot, should we go greet these people who walked in? And he said, yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. So we walk over, 
Now, the abbot outranks me for many reasons. He's got a doctorate of uh, letters, doctor of divinity, professor of liturgics, um, and hello, he's the abbot, head of a monastery, so he's been entrusted with much care, and he is the assisting priest at the church that I am a part of. But there's still the rector who outranks him because the rector is the senior priest, the priest of the local church. So we go and we meet these people. It's this Indian couple, Bishwanath and his wife Upuma. And they're from Calcutta, where Mother Teresa is from, even though he says it Calcutta is how Bishwanath actually says it. So we're talking, and of course the abbot wants to, you know, defer to Father Bell, because Father Bell, rightly so, is the authority in our parish. Now, obviously Jesus is the ultimate authority, but you guys get what I'm saying here. There's chains of commands in, in everything in life, right? So, <coughs> so we're introducing ourselves, and he wants to talk more. I wanted to talk more, especially because it was in Hindu. And he comes up and he's and he's telling me about this spiritual void. He's telling us rather about the spiritual void that he has. Hinduism has not satisfied him. So the abbot refers him to Father Bell. I give him my number and I tell him, "Hey, you know, let's uh, let's meet up and talk sometime." And event and he leaves. They leave. Him and his wife leave, and the abbot and I go back to priesthood training. Well, he texts me. I text him and he texts me. Somebody texted each other. <laughs> uh, and I woke up to a text. It was like 6 a.m. He texted me the next morning saying it was nice to meet me. And then I text him back and say, hey, let's meet up sometime. And so I don't hear from him for several days. It turns out he went on a vacation somewhere. So we meet up. I think it was the following week, right? We, we, I, we meet up at St. Mary's uh, at the cathedral and we meet in the nave. I'm wearing my cassock. He's, uh, he comes over. I have my Bible and we're sitting in the nave. We're, we're looking at the, you know, we're looking at the altar and I have my Bible and I'm listening to his story. And the things that he describes to me have to do with the fact that he's went around the world. Very successful guy. And he's Indian. So, of course, he's incredibly smart. Right. And he's he's gone to cathedrals and basilicas and mosques and, and non-denominational uh, worship services, and so on and so forth. Uh, but Hinduism just hasn't, you know, it really hasn't satisfied him. He doesn't feel he has a purpose in life. He's been going around the world searching. Now, that's really important, but we'll get to that. We'll get back to that in a moment. He's telling me of his desire to have a purpose. He had seen... Mother Teresa in person, and was always inspired by her for the work that she had done. He's talking to me about how Hinduism isn't really satisfying to him, uh, and that it's really, it was just a family kind of, uh, a family ordeal. You know, this is, this is what you do when you're from India, largely, not, not obviously in every single instance. This is what was handed down to him. This is what he believes in. Uh, it's a familial matter as a whole, especially out there, right? Like if you follow any other religion, well, guess what? You're going to lose everything. So I listened to him. I listened to him talk about purpose. I listened to him talk about wandering. 
searching, journeying. And you know what? Let me just uh, let me just turn to it. And I've told you guys about this before, right? In Acts chapter 14, actually, sorry, 17, and I'm in Romans for some reason. In Acts 17, Paul's at the Areopagus, and he goes, you know, in, in Athens, and he talks to everybody, and he says to them, this is Paul speaking in 17.26, Acts 17.26, and he made from one man, and so I'm telling Bishwa not this, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. So what I did, I didn't, you know, I didn't go to talk to Paul, uh, talk to Paul, talk to Bishwana about Jesus immediately. I talked to him about Yahweh. I talked to him about the fact that our God appointed him to live in a specific place. This is what Paul does in Acts. I said, our God, Yahweh, appointed him to live in a place and grope about in darkness and uh, one day eventually finding him. That's what Acts 17 is talking about. That's what Paul says by the Spirit in Acts. And then I say, our God, going back to Jonah, chapter 4, verse 2, our God is a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. This is what it says in Jonah. And don't forget, it stops there. Now, you guys, this stuff is in Exodus, Numbers. I believe it's in Deuteronomy as well. It's, it's resounding throughout all of the Bible. It's resounding the right word. Whatever the right word is, it's throughout the Bible. And so I present to him that Yahweh is unique amongst the gods. You see, you see, in Hinduism, there is a very, very clear understanding of sin, of reincarnation, of paying off your sins. And you know what? Just like Paul doesn't really mess around with it, I didn't really mess around with it. I didn't mess around with sin when it came to talking to Bish Bishwanath, talking with him. Instead, I listened to him talk about his search for purpose in life, about his lack of satisfaction in Hinduism, about this spiritual void, and I presented to him this loving, kind, merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster kind of God. I presented to him how in Acts 14, for real this time, Acts 14, how the Holy Spirit, and not Paul, but the Holy Spirit says that in past generations, Yahweh allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways and did not leave himself without witness. For he did good to you, and I'm saying this to Bishwanath, he did good to you, Bishwanath, by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your heart with food and gladness. Gladness, you guys. I, I added that part in there because the Holy Spirit put it in there. I presented to this Hindu, at the time he was an Hindu, uh, a Hindu, I presented to this Hindu a generous God. And I talked to him about how the Hindu gods are vindictive and angry and, and, <laughs> and you have to serve them with fear and trembling. And of course, you guys, we know that that's how we must serve Yahweh as well. But at the same time, the scriptures say that we are at peace. 
And I showed him that in 2 Corinthians. All the things that I've been telling you guys about throughout this podcast, I shared with him. And I presented to him Yahweh, uniquely loving and generous and kind amongst the gods. And you know what? This really resonated with him. I told him that God has a purpose for him, just like God had a purpose for Mother Teresa. I told him that God has a purpose for him in Christ. And I brought him to 2 Corinthians 5, where it says that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. And now God is in me, reconciling the world to himself. And so I, and I brought that same thing up to him. And I said, just as God is reconciling you, Yahweh is reconciling you to himself through me, God is giving you this same purpose. Should you come and join him and give yourself over to him and renounce your gods, then God will be in you reconciling the world to himself. Just as you saw Mother Teresa and God reconciling the world to himself through Mother Teresa, you too, brother, will have this purpose of being the form through which, the medium through which God reconciles the world to himself. And these things resonated with him. That's the really short version but I didn't tell him. I didn't go Romans Road. I didn't tell him about, uh, you're such a dirty, rotten sinner. I didn't read John 3.16, any version of it, and I mean any translation, your own translation, any Bible translations, or the modern contemporary version of, you're such a dirty, rotten sinner that God was so angry with you that he had to murder Jesus on the cross because of you. Instead, I told him that the Hindu gods are his enemies, Yahweh's enemies. And God is calling all people everywhere to turn to him. I finished the rest of Acts 17. You know, I told him about Jesus. I told him about the resurrection. But that wasn't until close to the end of probably a 45-minute conversation. I focused on Yahweh because that's what, that's what Jonah does. And that's who Jesus represents. Now, Jesus is a major part of our faith. I understand this. But what I wanted to tell you guys about was this instance, or why I wanted to tell you about this instance, rather, is because this message that I've been telling you guys um, is a biblical message and that you can go out and proclaim that Jonah is for today. And remember, the Bible of the early church, early church was Genesis through Malachi. And so, like it says in Luke 24, right, starting with the law and the prophets and so on, Jesus proves. How many of us today can go to numbers and prove that Jesus had to die? Because this is what Paul does, that there had to be this crucifixion thing and resurrection and so on and so forth. Paul does this when you read Acts and he goes to the synagogues first. He goes to the law and the prophets What's the law? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. How many of us can go to Deuteronomy 6 with the Shema? How many of us can go to uh, Numbers 13 with the evil report, right? And so on and so forth. How many of us can go to uh, Exodus 25 with the tabernacle or the, the vision for the tabernacle, the blueprint for the tabernacle, and talk about what God had to do? 
Maybe those are the wrong passages. Maybe they're not. But the point is that Jesus and Peter and Paul, all to different audiences, they started with the law and the prophets to prove stuff about the Messiah, the resurrection, the death, the necessity of these things. And then it also says throughout the rest of the scriptures, right? And that's in Luke 24 and other places and in Acts as well. And so that's why I'm saying we can use Jonah. As I, I quoted somebody recently in one of the podcasts, it says uh, the gospel of Jonah. Indeed, you guys, we can use the gospel of Jonah to make converts. We can leave out sin or we can bring it up. I'm not denying its existence. I think it's Psalm 38, maybe 39, where, where the psalmist is saying that his iniquities are more than the, than the hairs on his head. There's no way I can deny sin. But I am saying to you that the initial presentation of our God, biblically speaking, should be, in my estimation, how I read the Bible, everything that I've, I've studied and the conclusions where I'm at now and what I see demonstrably, things I can't get away from. That is to say that if I let the text dictate how I present a quote-unquote salvation message, let's just kind of label it shorthand that, even though I wouldn't really prefer to call it that way or label it as such. If I were to present a salvation message according to what the text demands, I would present the way I did with Bishwanat. It was so easy, you guys. First of all, glory be to God alone. I was in the right time. I was in the right place. Him and his wife had no plans of stopping by the cathedral. They were out on a walk in the neighborhood. It's a very, very nice neighborhood. And they're just checking it out, and they felt, he, Bishwanath, felt like they should turn in and check the place out. So they did, and there I was, and we met up, and I gave him my number. But the thing is, I didn't convince him. I didn't have to debate anything. We didn't go back and forth about creation, old earth, new earth. We didn't deal with, uh, you know... Uh, intelligent design, like you see all these videos online where people want to prove God exists. But my presupposition was what the text says, which is Romans 1, everybody knows God exists. That's what I'm saying to you guys. That's what I'm saying to you, brothers and sisters, is that if you let the text tell you how to present and how to think, it will tell you that everybody knows God exists, and therefore you do not have to convince them of anything. And it will tell you that they are all at peace with God. Peace, you guys. Peace with God. And so you don't have to go to them in any kind of way. You don't have to go to them angrily. You don't have to go to them trying to convince them of anything. You don't have to stand on these street corners and condemn people, and so on. I think you guys get the point. It's a very simple podcast episode today. And I hope that this podcast episode encourages you guys 
to let the text direct you in your presentation of our God, Yahweh, who is unique amongst the gods. And I hope that it, the text will direct you in your salvation message approach. As the text says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. All we have to do is to go out and tell people of a loving God, of the kingdom of God, of peace with God, of a God who gives generously and allows people to enjoy themselves while they do whatever they want. And God is just leaving himself a witness that, hey, I'm here and I'm loving and I'm at peace with you. That's what Acts 14 says. And this message of Jonah is a message for today. The gospel of Jonah applies today. And remember, the early church turned to the gospel of Jonah because all they had for several hundred years officially was Genesis through Malachi. So we need to learn to turn to these type of texts and let these texts speak. That's it. That's all I have today as far as the podcast uh, um, or Jonah is concerned. I'm going to ask you guys to pray for me diligently. Like I said, I've been sick for quite some time. Today I felt good enough to record something. Um, I'm slowly catching up in school. I'm getting my second master's degree. It's a Master of Arts in Old Testament. It's a kind of a prep degree, preparatory degree for a PhD. I have my Master of Divinity. I have my Bachelor's of Biblical Studies. I'm also working on, you know, priesthood stuff um, and having my ordination fully received into the Anglo-Catholic Church. That's why my intro still says I'm a deacon in the Anglican Church in North America, because I am. That's where my ordination resides, technically, and it has to be transferred to the Anglo-Catholic Church. Um, and so I have to take uh, what they call canonicals. These are tests that prove I'm not a chump, that I know the Bible, that I know Christian history, and that I know Anglican history specifically. Um, I have to take these things, and uh, it's just been a lot of work. This is, my experience is not unique to anybody or to me, rather. <laughs> Everybody has to go through these things where they're busy in life, they're sick, they're taking care of kids. I'm simply sharing with you what's going on in my life. Uh, also, I ha I've moved to Denver, so the background uh, might be a little bit louder because I'm living downtown, and these windows aren't exactly the most quiet windows in the world. But yeah, I live in Denver now, and I finally got moved in. I've technically moved in 20 days ago. And only, you know, a couple days ago did I finally get actually started moving in, clearing everything out, putting everything away because I've just been so sick and I've just been so behind that I've just had to live like this for a while. So these are my struggles. Please do pray for me. Uh, we are working on discipling, or I am working on discipling. I guess everybody else is that's involved with him, but... Uh, you know, Bishwanath has asked me in a very Indian way to hold him, hold his hand through all of this and, and teach him uh, what it means, you know, to be a disciple and to follow the Lord. Uh, he's slowly bringing his kids to our masses on Sundays. We are Lord willing disciple, I mean, discipling, um, 
baptizing him this Sunday. And it will be a time of celebration. And it's very rare that we baptize during Lent, but this is one of those extreme circumstances. We don't need him to wait any longer to take communion. He is eager. Uh, and also, I know I said I was done, but here's one more thing. Bishwanath turned to Yahweh, turned to Jesus, knowing that he was going to have to give up everything to follow Jesus. This, he's here on a student visa, working for one of the largest companies in America. Uh, well, I guess in the world, actually. One of the richest men in the world. We'll put it like that. You can probably figure out, narrow it down to a couple of people. And his visa will expire at a certain point, and he'll either have to get a work visa or go back to India. And so we, we took a while before moving towards baptism because he wanted to understand what was required of him. What is he going to have to give up? What is it going to be like if he has to go back to India? Um, and you know what? He called up his sisters. He lost his family inheritance because of turning to Christ, but he was bold in telling them because he knows that this is what Yahweh wants him to do. So pray for him as well. Uh, pray for his visa situation. Um, we, I had him meet up with several of my Indian friends, and some of my Indian friends brought their Indian friends, and everybody talked about what their experiences were like converting to Christianity, what it was like for their family to convert to Christianity decades ago. Um, and, and that's all he wanted to know. What was it like? He said, no matter what's required of me, I'm going to do it. I just want to know what I'm getting myself into. So pray for Bishwanath as well, and Upuma, his wife, and, and he has two children. Pray for them as well in this process, that God would bring in his whole family. His kids have come to Mass uh, a couple times, well, evening prayer, and uh, not to Mass just yet, but they have been loved and he introduces the older people in our congregation as their grandparents. Because guess what? His kids are going to end up losing their grandparents because he's turned to Christ. That's how this stuff works. So while my issues are real, his issues are more prevalent. And this is common throughout the world. So please do pray for Bishwanath and myself in various ways. Thank you all for listening, and I will see you.